Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. And welcome to the Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night, January 16th. The year of our Lord, 2022. Jam-packed, high atop, snowy, frozen downtown Nashville. But look. I got director Colin in the house. I got producer Jesse in the house. I'm here. Imagine letting your show be canceled by a mere winter storm. We have stared winter down in the face twice this month, and we're 2-0. You know, we don't do things like canceling the show. And for that matter, we don't quarterback sneak on, uh, what do we have, like less than 20 seconds to go in that game? Believe it or not, we do watch the NFL playoffs here. So uh, the Niners advance on a, a very, very peculiar set of circumstances late in the game. But look, we got uh, wall-to-wall college football to talk about tonight. There's a blueprint that a lot of you want to know about. And that blueprint is, how do we beat the SEC? How do we take down the SEC? Well, firstly, you don't need to take down the SEC. You need to be able to compete with the best teams in the SEC. So let's delineate there. Let's line in the sand this thing. I'm going to talk about it tonight. Very simple five or six or seven step process. But these are things that are realistic. Uh, these are things that USC easily could do, uh, not easily, these are things they could do, these are things Miami could pull off, North Carolina could pull this off, Michigan could pull this off, so this is not just a southern thing, they don't have the blueprint, once you get past a certain longitudinal latitude, you can't really pull it off anymore, we will discuss tonight. I promise you, everything we're going to list works, and it is possible for programs outside the south. Huge portal moves today. Arkansas has made some moves. Florida may be on the precipice of making more moves. Texas has made a big move today. And could we have more than just USC involved with Caleb Williams? I ask that in a very open-ended fashion, really, really listening to sort of the drumbeat from different parts of the country. Some interesting times in the portal. Also, there's some rumors about guys who aren't even in yet but could be in. Uh, looking at Darnell Washington, for instance, at Georgia. I'm going to tell you everything that we know and can responsibly report tonight. The mood tracker is back. I asked you guys, give me feedback. What do you want more of? And so many of you said, I love the mood tracker. You know, a lot of you are like a, a New Mexico State fan, and you know your team's not necessarily going to contend for a national championship. It's not you guys versus Auburn but you're still fascinated by the inner workings of other programs. It's back. We're going to do dozens of these throughout the spring, but it's back. We are talking Florida Gator football tonight. I am very, very intrigued by the prospects. Uh, number one, the prospects they're bringing in, in terms of recruits, and then number two, just the prospects of the program overall. And we got wide-ranging versions of the mailbag tonight. Late kick question and answer, kind of how we do the late kick extra podcast. We've got three or four good ones tonight that if I'm not careful, I'll go an hour or more on. And we're not going to do that. We're responsible. Look, make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. I got to give a hat tip because we're not really going to talk about this elsewhere. I got a hat tip, our friends at Georgia yesterday. If you guys didn't see the national championship ceremony there, they packed the stadium, so they got like 90-some-odd thousand people in the stadium. There are over 10,000 people outside the stadium. Let me tell you what that means. There's no substitute for passion. There is no substitute for it. You know how if you were watching college football this year, specifically if you were scrolling through Twitter on a game day, 
and it was coming time for the kickoff of the USC game, and inevitably you would see that post from a beat writer out there, and it would say something like, 15 minutes to game time, here's what it looks like in the Coliseum. Southern Cal could not come close to halfway selling out the Coliseum for games this year. Georgia, for a trophy presentation yesterday, for a parade, had more people show up than multiple versions of USC football this year stacked on top of each other. You cannot substitute it. It is one of the requirements to fulfill your potential as a program. You've got to have the passion there. You've got to have it. We'll talk about that more in a little while. In fact, I'll start with it right now. So a lot of people are looking at the SEC dominate right now, and you're coming off an all-SEC national championship game in Georgia versus Alabama. Everyone's issue, or at least a lot of you, have an issue right now, and the issue is there's too much SEC dominance. There's too much regionality to the sport right now. I don't really like that. What can we do? You know, what can we do to beat Alabama or beat Georgia? What can we do to just compete with the SEC? Well, the first thing I want to reiterate is you're not having to beat the SEC. I haven't, in all due respect, I haven't seen Ole Miss in one of these title games. I haven't seen Kentucky in the playoff. I haven't seen Missouri sniff a playoff spot. You're not competing against the SEC as a whole. Yeah, that'd be a pretty tough task. That's a pretty tall order. Tough to beat Greg Sankey. Uh, you can beat these teams. You can compete with them. It's just not easy. Like, what did Georgia just do? Georgia just showed that if you follow a blueprint and you execute it to near perfection, you can win a championship. Now, some people would lead you to believe, well, that's true, but Georgia has access to these magical resources that the rest of us don't have access to. That's false. Georgia has access to resources Iowa State may not have access to. They certainly have access to resources. Here's my nightly whack-a-mole on Akron for no particular reason. Yes, they've got access to things our friends in Akron, Ohio don't have. But do they really have access to stuff that USC hasn't historically been able to have at their fingertips or Texas or Ohio State? Of course they don't. What's happening is you had a blueprint and you had a value system and you had it followed. You had it carried out to perfection. There is a lot that you have to get right to win a championship. That's obvious. Doesn't matter which conference's helmet sticker you have on the back of your head. But there are ways that you can do this and you don't have to be affiliated with the SEC to do it, and you don't have to be Clemson to do it. Like, there are several programs out there, if you'll notice, over the past 10, 15 years that have underachieved mightily, and it's in no correlation whatsoever to what the SEC has done. Nothing about what the SEC has been doing has kept Miami down. Miami's kept Miami down. Ditto for Texas. Ditto for USC. Those are three examples I keep using. Let's dive into this, though. Uh, here's a crazy stat, by the way, as we dive into this. I told Jesse, find me the most eye-popping stat about the SEC over the past 15 or so some odd years as you can. He came to me. He said, I think I got one. I said, come on, Jesse, bring it. He said, um, in the past 16 national championship games, there have been 18 SEC teams play for a title. So I said, Jesse, uh, I know you came in a little early today, and I gave him a caffeine drink today. It threw him for a loop. He said, no, I'm right about this. Over the past 16 title games, there have been 18 SEC teams participate in those title games, which means you have multiple years, a la what we just saw, or uh, Georgia versus Alabama part one in 2017, or George or Bama versus LSU in 2011, where you had multiple SEC teams in there. Yes, it's been a dominant stretch. How in the world do you catch up? How do you match this? How do you compete with it? Here's how you compete with the SEC. Number one, football has to be number one. This sounds so commonsensical, and a lot of programs out there think they've put football number one. 
But it's not just a program thing. It's an athletic department thing. You're going to have football as priority one and 1A and 1B. And here's the thing. You can't apologize for it. When someone says, we got to pay some attention to the equestrian team, you can be respectful, but you got to let them know that equestrian team exists because of football. You got to have football at the front of the train because that's exactly what a locomotive does. It pulls the rest of the train and you don't apologize for it and you don't siphon off funds over here that could be used to better football because better football equals more funding for everything else. You got to have your AD on board with this line of thinking. You got to have presidents. You got to have boards of trustee members. This is where it gets really, really complicated because as you can see, you got to have a singular vision. They all got to be on board. The second thing you have to do is you have to hire with purpose. You got to go nail the hire. Georgia obviously nailed the hire. It goes without saying Alabama nailed their hire, but that hire has to be able to cast a vision. So leadership's imperative here, but he's got to be able to cast a vision to where it doesn't matter if I ask a nutrition specialist or your defensive coordinator or a recruiting director, hey, tell me what the vision of this program is. Boom, they just rattled it off and they all give you a version of the same answer. There aren't 15 different play sheets being read from. There aren't 15 different hymnals being sung from. Everyone's on the same page. And that's because purposeful hiring has been executed. You also have to spend, but you don't just spend willy nilly. I always wanted to say that in the natural uh, progression of a show. You gotta spend with purpose. And that really, really ties closely with hiring with purpose. But you gotta spend with purpose. Like right now at Florida, I think they're doing a good job of spending with purpose. Billy Napier, as he came in the door, he asked for things, but if they were to have said, why do you need this? He wouldn't have fumbled around. He wouldn't have said, I don't know, just give it to me. I'll figure it out later. I guarantee you Billy Napier had about a 15 point plan for every dollar that he asked to be allocated towards football with. That's how you have to be when you spend. You don't just go put a water park in the football complex because you got the extra money. That's spending. It's not spending with purpose. You've got to properly structure the football program. This is, to me, what's changed the most just over the past five years. Five years ago, if you were to be hired, Brent Venables, for example, at Oklahoma, you hire Brent Venables at Oklahoma, he doesn't need to know how to structure NIL. They don't need to know how to handle NIL. You've never even heard the letters put together. He doesn't need to have a college scouting department because the transfer portal then was not even a fraction of what it is now. Think about what I'm saying. Traditionally, you've obviously had high school scouting and you've had regions where you assign guys, however you want to set it up. But that's basically the extent. You scout your opponents and then you scout kids that you want to bring into the program. Now, you've got to have true college scouting departments. You've got to have someone at the University of Oklahoma and an entire infrastructure for that matter that understands if a kid that's a left guard for Ole Miss goes in the transfer portal, we need a grade on him. We need to know his background, his history. We need to know his injury. We need to know everything about him because we need to know how he fits. No different than if he was a sophomore in high school down in Philadelphia, Mississippi, than if he's coming to the portal and coming out of Oxford, Mississippi. We got to know. And so that's another thing that you have to be able to have. But also, it could be strength and conditioning. It could be nutrition. Everything top down has to align with the vision that's been cast, hopefully because you've hired properly. And then the vision has to be carried out at a high level because you have spent with purpose. But even if you check all those boxes, I know what a lot of you are out there thinking. Maybe you were nice enough to let me finish making the points, but I know what a lot of you are out there thinking. You're thinking, okay, let's say we do every bit of that you're still forgetting one key thing. Georgia is in Georgia. 
And so they got all those bottomless resources and they got everything aligned. They got the talent pool. Yes, they do have the talent pool. They don't have exclusive rights to the talent pool and they don't reside in the only talent pool is what I'm trying to tell you. That's the big misnomer. The big misnomer is, well, we'd love to be able to do all this, but hey, kind of kick your can down the road and put your nose down as you say it. Doesn't really matter, you know, because fate has decided, or in this case, geography has decided, we're not going to be able to compete regardless. No, yeah, you can. You got a couple options here. Okay, either you can put together a top five roster and have good enough quarterback play, or you can put together a top 10 to 15 roster, but you need to have elite quarterback play. There are several different ways you can go about this, but I want you to think about a six-hour radius around your campus. This could be USC, it could be Texas, it could be Oklahoma, it could be Tennessee. I, I think Tennessee has been a sleeping giant within this aspect for a long time. I've spoken about that before. It could be Florida State, um, and there are several ways to do it traditionally, but I also want you to think about two new things that have entered the equation here. NIL and technology, so let's talk about three things. Think about what NIL and technology combined have done to erode the meaning of geography when it comes to where a kid is going to play his college football. Kids used to not leave home a whole lot. The country used to feel a lot bigger. Technology has really, really shrunk the country perceptionally in the mind of a 17-year-old kid. You are routinely communicating with folks three and 4,000 miles away from you. The country just doesn't feel that big. It doesn't feel the way that it would have felt to you if you were coming out of high school in 1993. Secondly, NIL is a huge factor here. A lot of times, even if kids don't mind leaving home, they haven't left home because family cannot come see them play. One of the hidden benefits of NIL that people behind the scenes are talking about more and more is it is allowing the freedom financially for families to travel long distances to see their kids or their son, brother, whatever, nephew play football. That's a big deal. But then also I want you to think about the transfer portal. Look at where kids are going in the transfer portal. We're gonna talk about the portal in just a second, but the portal shows you that geography matters even less. Like it may even be still that some kids are tied to a certain area of the country when they come out of high school. Dude, look at where kids are going in the portal. It's almost like the NFL free agency market. No one even cares. No one even remembers your hometown at that point in a lot of cases. Some kids do want to get closer to home. A lot of kids are just going where they can play. I mean, there was a kid when I was still down in Columbus, there was a kid who played for Auburn High School, which is in Auburn, Alabama. He had some local interest. He committed to Florida. Uh, he just entered the portal, just went to play for Utah. Then no one cares anymore. So you've got to be strategic about this, okay? If you're Michigan State, for example, and Mel Tucker's already showing you how to do this, yet you don't have the same kids down the road at Norcross or in Columbus or Macon or Alpharetta that Georgia does right in their backyard. You may not have that, but what you do have is you got a good brand, you got rock solid leadership, you got access to the portal, you can get creative with NIL, you have to structure, this is where the strategery comes in, you have to structure things properly in your football department. If you do, you don't have to sign 100 kids per cycle, guys. It's about 25 kids per cycle. You're telling me you can't structure things properly to where you get 25 high level players per cycle, enough at least, to where you put yourself into that 10 to 15 range roster wise, and at that point, if you're there, if you got the 13th best roster in the country and you hit it out of the park at quarterback, you can win a national championship. I don't care what part of the country you reside in. I don't care what the average temperature is in September or October. You can win a national championship. 
Which programs are capable of doing what I just said? Because really what you want is a list. So I thought about this for a second. They got to have good enough access. I mean, the University of Alaska is probably not in this equation. You got to have good enough access to high school talent. You got to have deep enough resources to where you can reasonably execute things, even if everyone is aligned. And the third thing is the alignment. If you've got that top to bottom administrative alignment, you got the vision cast, you got the right leader at the helm, which programs could pull this off if everything was in line? USC could do this. Miami could absolutely do this. Florida State could do this. North Carolina can do this. Notre Dame can do it. Ohio State can do it. Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, Oregon, uh, Texas, Oklahoma. They can all do it. There's a second tier where you could push back and convince me that programs like both of the Virginia schools, both of the Arizona schools, Baylor, TCU, uh, Georgia Tech, a lot of you don't buy into, I do. It's got to be perfect there. West Virginia, like there are ways in the transfer portal in IL era, especially, there are ways where if everything were aligned, any of those programs could compete for a national championship. It's just so hard. It's like I'm a weather nerd. I know how many different atmospheric factors have to come together for a tornado to form. Most of the time it doesn't happen. But man, when they do happen, it's really incredible to see. And so if it ever does happen at Arizona State, if it ever does happen at West Virginia, if it ever does, I can't believe I'm gonna say this, if it ever does happen again at Texas, it's gonna be incredible to see. The fact of the matter is, especially with these premier programs, historically, like a Texas, like a USC, there's nothing about the SEC that's held them down. They've held themselves down, and the SEC's come in their backyard and said, well, if you guys aren't going to win and keep your talent home, we'll take it. I mean, think about the state of Florida. Florida State and Miami have long spoken about how imperative it is for them to right the ship. Florida right along with them. Right the ship. Keep the talent home. You want to see something balance at least the talent pool in this sport, that would go a long way in doing it. Look, that lets you compete. That's all you're looking for. Just get in the arena. Compete. Don't look around and say, who's going to beat the SEC? You! You go do it. How about that? I was driving around Nashville today. Hold on. Let me, let me take a sip out of my very, very intentionally nondescript can of protein here. Laced with caffeine, might I add. It's been a long day. So I'm riding around Nashville today. And um, down where our old studio is in Brentwood, they got eight inches of snow. We didn't get nearly as much downtown because uh, of something I'm not going to bore you with the details of. There was a warm nose aloft. Oh, it bit us hard today. But anyway, there was enough snow downtown to where the kids could go over here at the Capitol building and sled down the hill. So I drive by there today. I always drive over there with the notion in my mind, I may go participate. I usually just end up driving by. But you got kids sledding down the hill. There was a hardcore pickup game of football going on at the Capitol Mall. You had uh, Frisbee being played with dogs over there. What else did I see? I think I saw, so I saw a lot of folks playing catch with varying forms of equipment. But what I realized when I was driving by is every single thing that's being used over here could be purchased at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And so I just want to ask you to repicture the scene that I just painted for you. That's a winter wonderland. It's quite literally a winter wonderland. And then think about the very possibility that Academy Sports and Outdoors made it all possible. And look, if you found yourself ill-equipped today, whether you're in Arkansas or you're in northern Alabama, they got a few snow flurries back down where I'm from in Columbus, Georgia. Huge amounts in North Carolina, South Carolina. This stuff doesn't happen in this portion of the country all that often. 
If you weren't prepared, why not? I only ask you humbly every single show we have. Give our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors a visit. And if you don't want to do it, I was perusing. In fact, I still have a tab pulled up right now. I was perusing academy.com earlier. Uh, when I tell you they got everything, they got everything. And to flip the script back to the theme that I've been using the past couple of shows when we've done this ad read, Georgia just won a national championship. And a lot of you are mad that some of the stores were sold out. Go to academy.com. And, and by the way, don't go to other websites and risk poor material or non-fitting material being sent to you. Go to Academy. Because half the time, if you have problems with them, you can just get in touch with me. I'll get in touch with them. That's not an encouragement. That is not what that email on the bottom of the screen is given out for. But Academy Sports and Outdoors, they made dreams of children possible all throughout snowy downtown Nashville, Tennessee today. And they can make your dreams come true as well. Highly dependent on what that dream is. But they could conditionally make those dreams come true. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast introducing the two-way v4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell each step feels explosive delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience maximum comfort throughout the game its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com Transfer portal's on fire. It's just on fire. And again, as we have said so many times, there is no sign of it being put it out. So put it out. Colin, there's no way we're putting that in there. So here we go. Three, two, one. Transfer portal on fire. No sign of it slowing down. Let's dive right into it. We're sitting here on Sunday night. Things have changed even in the past couple of hours. So who knows what changes by the time we get off the air. Caleb Williams, this is the big name out there, the obviously five-star quarterback transfer from Oklahoma. What is the very, very latest? Well, obviously, the crystal ball still leans, I believe, 100% towards USC. If I'm putting one in, I'm leaning USC. Here's the million-dollar question on everyone's mind. Okay, well, if it's so clear-cut, then why hasn't he committed yet? Look, I haven't talked to him today, so I don't know. Here's what I find fun about this. It has been my observation in the history of recruiting and a short history of the transfer portal that most of the time 
when a bunch of reputable people are saying that something is close to done, usually that's the way it works out. But there's also this other phenomenon that happens sometimes, and that is in the absence of real tangible information, one or two little tidbits are run with by everyone, and it creates this, this false consensus in the market, and the reality is things are a lot more open than they appear. This is a complete guess on my part, because I'm not suggesting that's the case. What I am suggesting is it's very interesting if you gotta really put your ear to the ground on this, but if you really put your ear to the ground, there are other programs out there that have thought in varying points of this, they have a shot. The most fascinating to me is Wisconsin. Like there are people who would tell you, they wouldn't go as far as to say they think Wisconsin will land Caleb Williams. They would not tell you that. I've not found a single person to tell me that. But they would say there's a lot of mutual interest. Uh, the family and Caleb Williams have respect for Paul Christ. So who knows? I still fully expect this to be a USC thing. Uh, Mario Williams, the big wide receiver from Oklahoma, who a lot of people believe is a package deal here, he has committed to USC. I think he did it Saturday, so I think he did it yesterday, either yesterday or Friday. So remains to be seen there. Again, this could change by the time we go off the air. Jackson Dart is one we've been following very, very close today. Jackson Dart is leaving USC, and he's been visiting, let's see, Oklahoma, and well, most recently today, Ole Miss. Where is he going to end up? Well, I don't know that there's smart money on this right now. There is confidence in Norman. Keep in mind, they already got Dylan Gabriel, though, who, let's make sure we get this right, transferred to Oklahoma by way of UCLA, where he had briefly made a pit stop after transferring out of UCF. Welcome to the transfer portal era. Uh, so uh, for the moment, Dylan Gabriel is a quarterback at Oklahoma. But look, Jackson Dart could land there, but that's not where he is today. He was in Norman earlier this week. Today he's in Oxford, Mississippi. I'm scrolling through Twitter earlier today, and I say, Jesse, I think we need to put this in the show. If you're listening on podcast, let me describe what we're looking at. We're looking at a multi-million dollar home in the background. It snowed in Oxford today, just like it did in a lot of places in the southeast. And we have a vehicle there. I can't make out the logo on the back. I, I don't think it is used, though. I think Lane Kiffin probably bought that new. And it is Jackson Dart and Lane Kiffin out in the snow. You can't immediately tell which one is which, by the way. And there they are. They're posing. And a lot of people have drawn confidence from this photo in Oxford, Mississippi. I would, too. Like, I think this is the better fit. It just feels like the better fit for him. It feels more natural. You've got one big-time, big-performing quarterback walking out the door. You could have one walk straight in the door. So I expect a decision here pretty shortly, obviously. you got Ole Miss, Oklahoma. Those feel like the two front runners. Meanwhile, to keep it in this portion of the country, Sam Pittman. Oh, my. So Arkansas is, is really, really up in their game when it comes to recruiting and the transfer portal. But today, uh, today they took probably one of the biggest steps we've seen so far. Sam Pittman is Pate State material. We have long since established that, but they proved it again today. Drew Sanders, former five-star guy who committed to Alabama, played at Alabama this past year, uh, probably could have played at a high level at tight end as well. He was a defensive end for him. He entered the portal. He got hurt. Uh, Dallas Turner emerged. It just didn't look like he was going to have an established starting role for Alabama. Well, he absolutely could have one of those for pretty much anyone else in the country. Texas was involved here. You heard some whispers about Oklahoma. Nope. It is Sam Pittman and the University of Arkansas that get Drew Sanders. They already got Jaden Hazelwood, a high-level receiver, 
out of Oklahoma. And so now again, you're seeing Sam Pittman make moves in the transfer portal that sound a lot like the moves that the big boys like Alabama make, where it's a lot more like you're just, you're just hand-picking. You're kind of cherry-picking. Now, the difference is you also have a traditional high school recruiting apparatus that is still rounding into form for Arkansas under Sam Pittman. Think about where they are relative to where you thought they were coming into this past year. If you're just a, a generic you know, Nebraska fan or Oregon State fan and you're just watching Arkansas from afar, there's no way you thought they were going to make a bowl game. Uh, there's certainly no way you thought they were going to make any discernible noise on the recruiting trail, and yet there they were, 9-4, and four, with an Outback Bowl victory on New Year's Day, playing in a lot warmer climate than your team probably played in, chances are, nationally. And not only that, that 9-4 and four record was compiled as they played both participants in the national championship game. That 9-4 and four is good for about a one-loss playoff berth in some other conferences. Arkansas is really good this year. And it's kind of only a tip of the iceberg thing relative to what many people around that program think they could become. And the reason is because you cannot quantify culture. So many people out there have systems, ourselves included. We want a way to quantify everything. We got star rankings on recruits. We got projected scores on games. You cannot quantify culture. That's why robots will never run the game. Humans run the game because humans have heart and soul inside themselves, but they also have DNA. And in a very real sense, you cut Sam Pittman open, Arkansas is what comes out of him. I don't know how to quantify that. I cannot tell you how much that sort of thing matters as it relates to where a guy like Jaden Hazelwood or Drew Sanders are going to choose to go via the transfer portal. But I can tell you it does matter. And I can tell you a lot of people, in fact, everyone up there is on board with it. It's really funny that some people nationally who claim to really follow this sport at a granular sort of in the weeds level, I still don't think a lot of people get what's going on at Arkansas right now, which is fine. Uh, we do on this show, so I want everyone in Arkansas to know we do. But that was a big move. We'll see what else Arkansas does in the portal. Jaleel Billingsley was another big name out of Alabama that we've been following. Uh, had a bad performance in the national championship game. Uh, it was the least shocking headline ever to read that he was leaving Alabama shortly after that national championship game. He has landed at Texas. So this is what we expected the other day. I'm very interested to see how this pans out because there's a school of thought that he was a better fit under Sark. Sark is obviously the head coach of Texas now. So Jaleel Billingsley, you definitely want to hit the fresh start, restart button and you get him out there. And, you know, perhaps he performs more as a jumbo wide receiver than a traditional tight end. Not that he was a traditional tight end at Alabama, but Jaleel Billingsley at Texas now is another part, just one more cog in the wheel uh, of an incredible overnight reshaping of a program that's going on in Austin. Also, Jalen Moody, linebacker from Alabama, was in Austin. I think he's got an Arizona visit coming up. But these are two more guys that could be coming out of Tuscaloosa that could very well land in Austin. One already has. Jaleel Billingsley made that official today. Keep in mind, they got Ben Davis last year from Alabama. They got Keelan Robinson from Alabama. And I don't think it's the worst strategy in the world when you're trying to overturn a program to take as many kids who couldn't quite cut it at Alabama as necessary uh, because they are very good players. Billingsley played at Bama. Jalen Moody has played at Bama. Uh, Keelan Robinson, had he not transferred, would have absolutely been a key role at Alabama this year. Also, Javon Baker, one more guy leaving Alabama. Surprise visit to Florida this weekend. Now, the semester, as I understand it, has already started at Florida, but there are special exceptions that can be made, 
which is the only way a university should be run when it comes to football. There are exceptions that can be made where if Javon Baker decides Florida is the place for him, he can pull the trigger. They can get him in classes down there. Now that has to happen pretty quickly. So keep an eye on this. Uh, Javon Baker, I stood probably on the field for a good five to ten minutes and watched him and a couple of other Bama receivers warm up. He's, he looks good, man. All of, I mean, if you're playing at Bama, you look good. Uh, he was a step slow in relation to a lot of the guys they've had come through there. That doesn't mean he's slow. I said he was a step slow relative to guys like Jalen Waddle who have come through there. So there aren't many of those on planet Earth. Javon Baker's going to be a good player for whoever picks him up. Uh, one other name as we move on here that is not in the transfer portal, but there's a lot of noise about, and that's Darnell Washington, big 6'7", 270-pound tight end, or as you might know him in generations past, an offensive tackle. But he's at Georgia. Here's what I can tell you. He came home from Indianapolis when they won the national championship game. He was in class as of last Wednesday. He is still enrolled at the University of Georgia. There are people who believe that it is imminent that he will enter the transfer portal. I know he erased his Georgia insignia off of his social media channels. Look, I've been in contact with some people around the program today. All you can talk about is what is real here and now. And what's real here and now is, at least as we started the show tonight, he's not in the portal yet. Could that change before the night's over? Yeah, it sure could. If it did, uh, there are a lot of people on the West Coast at USC who think they would have a good shot there. And that's about all we know so far. Dot, dot, dot. That's pretty much why we have to do a transfer portal segment every single show. All right, let's move on. Let me cough for a second. <coughs> there we go. The Mood Tracker is obviously a fan favorite. It's one, of, it's one of your favorite segments that we do. Now, here's the way we fashion this. It's a reminder because we haven't done one of these in a while. The Mood Tracker which we will do for dozens of programs between now and the end of spring, is where we look at your program and what we want to do, for instance, we're doing Florida tonight. We want to take the temperature of the Florida fan base and we want to present it in such a way that if you're not a Florida fan, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, we want you to have a good working knowledge of what the real on-the-ground pulse is, not the stuff you just read in headlines, not the stuff you may see in a preview magazine later this summer, an actual temperature, you know, the kind of read that you get when you engage with fans and you're, you're kind of woven into the subcultures, like uh, the folks over on Swamp 24-7's board. Some of them love me, some of them hate me. That's why I just lurk. I lurk over there. And I've been lurking a lot. And I've also got several Florida buddies. So look, the mood tracker for Florida right now, fascinating. I want to first remind you of something. Think about what you thought about Dan Mullen this past season, and then ask yourself, did you develop that opinion during the 2021 season? Because I think for most of you, the answer is no. Whatever you thought, whatever issues you had with Dan Mullen, they weren't new. Uh, they weren't developed along the way during the 2021 season, whether it was the defensive issues they had and Todd Grantham, whether it was a, a culture issue you had, uh, whether it was woeful recruiting, when you compared yourself to Georgia or Alabama or the like, those were already issues. For better or for worse, those were issues before 2021. And the reason why I mentioned that they were all pre-existing to some degree is to make sure you understand there have been Florida fans who have been banging the drum for changes in various departments within that overall athletic infrastructure down there for quite a while. And the reason that they became lukewarm 
towards Dan Mullen or maybe the athletic department and administration as a whole down there, it's because they didn't feel like they were heard. They certainly didn't feel like their opinions were being respected. Some of them tuned out. Some of them said, forget this. I mean, I'm still orange and blue till I die. However, I'm not going to invest fully with my emotion if no one even cares what I think. Well, that's why we arrive at the Florida Mood Tracker right now. Because even though there has not been a game played with this new staff yet, I think the mood tracker down there could be best described as heard and respected. Whether you're a player, very important note, whether you're a player or a fan at Florida, at the very least now you know you've been heard and respected. If you're a player, they thought the nutrition sucked down there. They hated the food. Billy Napier walked in, and one of the first of many things he did was he overhauled the nutrition staff. He looked around, and he said, wow, uh, you're right. This is not good enough. They had the players living in very subpar dorm conditions, especially when it comes to comparing yourself to the other big boys in the SEC and just major programs in general. Billy Napier walked in just in the past couple of days. They announced, nope, you're not staying over here anymore. Like, we'll use these places that they were making you live in to, to store sleds and pads and stuff. That's about what they're fit for. I mean, some of the Florida players had been quoted as comparing their dormitories to Section 8 housing. That's what they had described their living conditions as. So they're putting them in some pretty upscale, kind of apartment complex type things down there. It's a good move. It is so necessary. By the way, you never think about this, do you? You don't know it because that stuff doesn't get publicized. It matters. It matters so much. What about the fans, though? Like, where's their voice being heard? Well, stadium enhancements are immediately on the way. Facility upgrades are immediately on the way. But also, Billy Napier walked in, and he didn't need to hear the fans say this to know it, but the fans have been saying it, and it's been acknowledged. They just took a blowtorch to every Florida recruiting stereotype that ever existed under Dan Mullen. You can't get kids from IMG? Boom, signing day. Get kids from IMG. I know I've been on the job five minutes. Let's go attack IMG anyway. Uh, the transfer portal, they have been constant in it. Recruiting every day, they've been constant in it. Again, he's just been on the job like a month. Think about it. If you're a Florida fan, if you live in Ocala and you have subscriptions to all the websites, but you've just kind of been tuned out because you knew that recruiting really wasn't worth following a whole heck of a lot under Dan Mullen, think about how engaged you've been. How many times on average per day do you check for updates and recruiting in the transfer portal now under Napier relative to the prior administration? You're heard. The things you didn't like about the program, they heard them and they addressed them. And I want you to remember two things, whether you're a Gator fan or elsewhere, remember a couple of things here, because this reeks, absolutely reeks in a positive way of what it felt like when Ohio State hired Ryan Day. Now, Ryan Day was already in the Ohio State program. Napier wasn't. But Florida, much like Ohio State, had several options. Florida had some big names on the hook if they wanted them, just like Ohio State did. And just like Ohio State, when they hired Ryan Day, Florida said, no thanks, we got our guy. And there were circus coaching searches going on elsewhere. And you had the administration at Florida with their ducks in a row. They decided what they wanted to prioritize. They found the guy that fit those parameters and they went and hired him. It was about as clean a major coaching search as you'll ever see. It's important to note, it wasn't a last resort. They had options, whatever they wanted, whatever they were looking for, they found in Billy Napier. And the second thing that you need to know for future reference is a lot of people in the industry, uh, certainly the media industry, but forget about the media industry. A lot of people in the football coaching industry had their doubts when Florida hired Napier. Now, some of them still do. 
that I can tell you quite confidently from talking to a few of them, a lot of their doubts have been silenced because their main doubts never lied in whether Billy Napier knows football or whether he's a good upstanding guy, whether he understands how to get buy-in. What they doubted is what kind of staff he could put together. Well, they've watched the staff he's put together. And not only that, when Napier walked in the door down there, one of the first things he asked for was, I need additional funds allocated because I've got to have a bigger staff than Dan Mullen had. I got to have a big staff. I got to have an army of support staffers. We got to fill roles that don't even exist here right now. And to their credit, the University of Florida did not tell him, well, give us some results first. Nope, nope, that's, that's, not, that's not how it works down here. You pay on the front end to get the results on the back end. This is not like a hot prospect coming up from AAA and he plays a few years and then goes into arbitration. No, 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 you gotta pay now. And then you can fill out an entire laundry list of different analyst roles and support staff roles. We're not even talking about the assistant coaches and coordinators. You gotta have them all. And Billy Napier is getting them all. So look, I don't know how they're gonna fare in year one. We haven't even gotten to the spring game. I would love to get down there at some point in the spring or summer and just meet some of these guys. Look at the staff. If you're watching on YouTube, a lot of new names down there. There is a lot of confidence. And at the very least, if nothing else, if you're a Florida fan, you know that your voice has finally been heard and there is at least some respect finally, after what seems like forever, being paid to what you have perceived as problems in your program for a long time. And that is a good thing. That's a very good thing. As is anyone who's watching live. The show's not over yet, but just anyone who's watching live, thank you. Make sure you like the uh, video and subscribe to the channel. Hey, by the way, I never do this, but I, uh, I have something to plug here. Now, I'm going to do it right now, and then I'm going to remind you again because we got some Q&A to do. Our buddies at College Football Nerds, I'm told, are doing a live broadcast tonight at 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 Central. Smartly, they are waiting till we get off the air so that I will give them the plug, and I am giving it to them. Uh, real talk, those guys are two of my best friends in this business, and back in the day, once upon a time, I was hesitant to dive into the YouTube world, and they convinced me to dive into the YouTube world. So um, when we, if we ever roll credits on the show, I may put in very, very small, like two-point font, but I may in very small font put Daniel Josh after a long space of black, so maybe some of you have already tuned out. But they're going to do, uh, I think, a whole 2021 recap tonight. I'm going to do this at some point, too. What I want to do is just like a Renaissance tour recap. There are so many untold stories I have, and i got to figure out the right formatting. We may even have guests on to do it. i got a couple of people I've talked to about this, um, people you would recognize, suffice it to say. But they're going to do theirs tonight. So college football nerds, you should be subscribed to the channel already if you're not. Uh, 9 Eastern, 8 Central. So in like 20 minutes, basically. I may hop on there with them. We'll see how the internet works. Uh, let's dive into Q&A right quick, and then we'll get out of here. Turner Kirby, first up. He said, if you could revise pre-2020 college football overtime rules in any way, what would it be? Would you move the ball back? Would you have no field goals allowed? What kind of revisions would you make? So now you know we have this ridiculous thing where you end up in a two-point shootout, and it's not even football. The Iron Bowl, for instance, this past year ended this way. I was driving through a snowstorm in Detroit as it was going on, so I get to the rental car company at the airport, and it cannot believe the final score. Here's the change I would make, and this is the change I always would have made. I never liked that college overtime started at the 25-yard line. I don't care about the formatting. 
I don't like where the ball starts. I would like every overtime period to have you starting at the 40-yard line, where if you are starting in field goal range, it's very much fringe field goal range. That's a bomb field goal. I want you to at least have to pick up a first down before you get in comfortable field goal territory. Outside of that, I'd keep everything the same. Because to me, if you're moving the starting field position back to the 40, the odds of us going three or four or five overtimes are so minuscule at that point that if it happens, I don't even care what you make the rule after three overtimes. I don't really care. Because I, th I think we may get there once every, every several years. And if we do, we do. But look, I, I'm going to tell you now, and this is going to be unpopular, I would prefer a game to end in a tie. I'm serious about this. Than for a game to end the way that we end them as we speak. Because at least if I'm ending in a tie, I watched an actual football game be played to its conclusion and the teams just scored the same amount of points. Of course, I don't advocate for ties. What I'm saying is if you, if you compete based on the rules of the game to a certain point and then they just totally change how the game's played and, and we have options and some committee has decided that's how it should work, it's stupidity. As is usually the case when you see a stupid rule, a bunch of people who have never laced a chin strap in their life are the ones deciding it. No one who played the game, and most people who haven't played the game but just watch it with common sense, like where overtime is right now. When's the last time you heard someone say, you know what I love? College football overtime rules. Kind of like targeting. No one loves where it is right now. Uh, it stands to reason we should probably change that. And when I'm college football commissioner, we will. Let me move this laptop over here. Uh, next up is from Larry Hunter. This is an interesting question. Uh, I'll just let you think along with me here. Larry said, I know NFL draft eligible players can get an evaluation prior to declaring. How about a system where a transfer portal player gets the same? So right now, if I'm going into the draft or thinking about it, I get a draft grade. And then I decide whether I want to go or come back for my senior year. Well, Larry's saying, what about a kid who wants to enter the transfer portal? Why don't they have a committee set up where that kid gets an evaluation, just like a guy maybe leaving for the draft? He continues, would that reduce the number of guys entering the transfer portal and maybe help rein in the student athlete model instead of free agent? And that's what we currently have. So here is, um, here's my thought on this. I love the concept. The concept is one thing. How you execute it is totally different. Because in the NFL, everything is centralized. Whereas in college football, everything is decentralized. Everything is fragmented. And everyone acts in their own best interest. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. In this case, I'm not sure how this would work because I don't know how much motivation there is uh, in the SEC to potentially provide assistance to Pac-12 players or Pac-12 programs uh, participating in giving an accurate gauge to a kid. To me, if I'm Texas A&M and a kid's transferring from Clemson and I want him, I don't want a system set up where that kid gets a good faith review of his options. I just want to go behind the curtain and tell him, you can come here. We've got a spot for you. That's how I want it to work. And so I don't think there's going to be, there's, I don't think there's going to be nearly as much benefit selfishly from the program's point of views to help out with this. And so I don't know how much, I don't know how much, um, I don't know how much buy-in you would get. That, that's my problem. I think for the betterment overall of the student athlete, it's a phenomenal idea. Who's participating in it? Who's on your advisory board? And 
how many people on that advisory board are motivated to give you honest feedback? Those are just some of the early thoughts I had there. I'd be interested in feedback on that though. Next up is Noah. He said, if expanding the college football playoff is not the answer, how do you keep NFL prospects playing in bowl games and finishing the season? Well, this is where uh, the truth pill has to come in. The answer, given where we are right now, is that you probably don't have a way to keep a lot of these NFL kids playing in bowl games. That's the mess that's been made with not only the playoff, but the way the playoff has been structured and, and marketed and presented. Now, what I mean by that, obviously, is in 2008, no one ever sat out bowl games. No one did it. Or if, if they did, it was one in a million. No one did. And then the playoff came around and you get the whole who's in era and the phrase meaningless bowl game comes into the equation. And then all of a sudden you got kids who are convinced that they get told so often all that matters is playoff games. And if you're not in a playoff game, you are lesser than. And those bowl games are lesser than. And they listened and they started opting out. Well, the answer to this question is you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. And I don't pretend you can. I do not have any kind of formula short of paying every kid $2 million to play in a game. I don't have a formula that makes Kenny Pickett opt back in to play for Pitt. I don't have any formula that makes Kenneth Walker III opt back in to play for Michigan State. I know what some of you are screaming right now. Some of you are screaming, I've got the formula, expand the playoff, where that's a playoff game. You didn't solve the issue at all there. You didn't solve anything. First off, I've got a myriad of different issues with that. But the fact of the matter is, you expand your playoff. Like the most realistic proposals we've seen don't take expansion beyond 12. So you add a few more teams into what are then playoff games instead of high level bowl games. That's great. What you just did is the net result is we lost more because now for sure the remainder of the bowl games are viewed as meaningless and they might as well fall off a cliff. And so what have we really done there? Like, I don't think we've done anything. Your championship stays the same. I mean, I just looked at a graphic that Fox Sports College Football put out before we came on the air. And it showed Bama and it showed North Dakota State, comparative analysis. One of them plays in what some of you call an invitational. Alabama benefits from an invitational. We don't have a real playoff over here, so there's no parity. And then you got North Dakota State over there that participates at a level of football where a lot of you tell me that parity-inducing real playoff structure is and they're as dominant or more dominant than Alabama is. You're not changing the outcome. You're just making a mess of things in the process and probably diluting a vast majority of the preseason, not preseason, regular season, uh, to get to the same point. It's never made sense to me. I know all the arguments. You can save it. You can spare me the time. I know all the arguments against it. I'm still, um, still in the same camp. Last question here from Aaron. He said, it's more of a statement than a question. Tampa Bay versus Philadelphia. I guess he was watching the game today, blowout city. He said, that's an example of an expanded playoff game, which he's right about. The NFL even expanded their playoff further. He said, it's another blowout. If the college football playoff has enough blowouts already, we don't need any more, do we? He said, I know you agree. Well, of course I agree, but I want to say this. This is where I try and be careful because I'm not going to anecdotally use a couple of examples from the NFL to try and make my argument that would still remain even if both of these games were barn burners today. Yeah, those games were blowouts today. They weren't worth watching to me. But look, even if they were both overtime thrillers, it's an apples to bowling balls comparison to look at the NFL and then juxtapose it to college football. But the fact that in the NFL, 
where all of the talent is pushed to the middle of the pool can still provide blowouts in their early round playoff games, yes, anecdotally, is all the more reason to believe you just get a bunch of that in the college football playoff as well. Here's what would break my heart. It would break my heart to watch Ohio State and Michigan as I saw it this year. And that's a classic, that, that's a memory that lasts a lifetime. But then we're leaving the big house and in a new world we're saying, instead of, ooh, Ohio State's out, Michigan punched their ticket to the Big Ten title game, they're probably going to the playoff, we're saying, well, Ohio State, yeah, I mean, they're still going to the playoff, obviously, they just, they're going to have a lower seed now. That just completely erodes away the meaning of that game for everyone not named Michigan. It's still a big rivalry win for them, but for someone who lives in, um, in Cheyenne, Wyoming, they watch it and they say, well, there's nothing really truly on the line there because Ohio State's still going to make the playoff. Then what happens is you get in a playoff and the deeper, more talented teams are going to have a disproportionate advantage in any postseason format, especially in the game of football. And so what happens is Ohio State faces like a, like a 13 seed or something like that, and they run them out of the building because that's exactly what they'd do. And whereas in the old model, Ohio State wouldn't have had a shot to win a title because they're not even in the playoff, you get in a new model where the same teams are going to be there at the end. You're going to have Bama, Georgia, uh, uh, Ohio State, and you're going to watch and you're going to say, hold on a second. So the net result here is we're getting a bunch of blowouts in the early rounds, but we're also allowing a trap door for teams like Ohio State that lost two games in the regular season, and previously they just would have been out of the equation, and we got to look at them and say, tough luck, should have won your games. We've now built a trap door voluntarily where that team, loaded with talent, gets in the playoff, does exactly what loaded teams with a second chance get to do in a playoff, and they're ending up right there. Instead of the Cinderella stories we thought we were going to get, because this is not basketball, instead of the Cinderella stories we thought we were going to get, we just get a bunch of Ohio State and Alabama. We just get a bunch of, of Georgia and Oklahoma. That's what your expanded playoff gave you. And then, and only then, would you realize, wow, um, I don't like this so much. Can we go back? And you look behind you, and the bridge is burned, and your regular season's eroded away in the process. Not interested in that at all. All right, good show tonight. Uh, we have got, yeah, we got off in time. I, th I thought for some reason we went past eight. So remember, our buddies at College Football Nerds doing a live broadcast that I'll tune into in about nine minutes. So go check them out. Give them a subscription if you haven't already. Big time friends of the program. Appreciate you guys for joining us. We're here all week. Got a Late Kick Extra podcast that I think may go over an hour. We'll release that either Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning. I'm playing around with some ideas with the Late Kick Extra pod, so just stay tuned there. We're not going to overhaul it, but we may, we may tinker with it just a little bit. Until then, for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Bate. Have yourselves a great start to your week, and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. 
So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.